noise right where you are. Come on. Come on, would you worship him where you are? Come on, can we celebrate him where you are? God is good, amen. I want to welcome you where you are, whether you're watching from your home or from one of the hundreds of prisons across 42 states in a nursing home across the state. We've even got some staff in the house, so come on, make some noise. Rock City staff, we welcome you wherever you are. Let me tell you something about the church, and let, let me tell you something about the God that we serve. Where you are, we are. Where we are, God is. Amen? Come on, somebody. Where you are, God is, because where you are, that's where the church is. We are the church. The church isn't a building. The church is you and me, and we can worship him where we are, wherever we are, anytime we want to. Amen? And he is worthy to be worshiped. Jesus never minced words. Jesus didn't withhold the truth. He said, in this world, you will have reason to hurt. There's going to be reason to worry and have anxiety at times. In this world, there will be trouble. But he follows it up with this. He says, but take heart. I've overcome the world. And you see, the great thing about the God that we serve is peace has never meant the absence of storms. Peace means you've got the guaranteed presence of God with you in the midst of even the greatest storm. Come on, somebody. Even in the midst of a pandemic, even in the midst of social unrest, whatever it is that's going on in your life, whatever storm is swirling around you, your house, your home, your family, God is good. He is with us. He's never abandoned anybody in the midst of a storm. And in Matthew chapter 5, in the opening remarks of Jesus' most famous sermon, the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus lays out for us a, a countercultural approach to life. And basically what Jesus is saying in Matthew chapter 5 is if you want what the world's got, then go ahead and do what the world does and, and live how the world lives. I don't think anybody right now is looking out into the world and thinking, I need more of what the world's got. Because what the world's got is, is hatred, and what the world's got is bitterness, and, and restlessness, and, and divisiveness, and, and all sorts of rage, and a lack of peace, and violence. Listen, I don't want what the world has. Jesus opens up his most famous sermon. He lays out a list of eight beatitudes, and he says, if you would follow these, you're going to look a lot less like the world. You're going to look a whole lot more like me. How many of you want to look like Jesus, live like Jesus, love like Jesus? And we're going to dive into this, but first I just want, want to make sure y'all know that next weekend we're going to be joined by a very special guest. We've got Tim Tebow joining us next week. Come on, somebody. You don't want to miss that, so make sure you tune in. Tim always packs a punch. He's a great friend to our church. And so next weekend, you're going to hear from Tim Tebow. And, and then also, I feel like I just need to um, be honest about something because uh, I don't want anybody looking at me today and wondering like, hey, does Pastor Chad look a little stiff and uncomfortable? And like, what's the deal? Um, I don't know if I will look like that to you or not, but um, I am a bit stiff and I am a bit uncomfortable because just this week I was diagnosed with having shingles. Now, anybody ever had shingles? The best way I can describe it is this. It feels like I got punched in the back and in the chest at the same time by both the Bosa brothers. 
Come on, somebody. And then somebody else done took a cheese grater to my skin on my chest and on my back. So I am in a lot of pain. And I'm only telling you that so I don't look weird up here and you're not wondering all, all, all the morning and, and evening, whenever you're watching, like, what's the deal with Pastor Chad? I am asking you to pray for me because I would like to kick this thing quick. So can y'all just be praying for me? I need to, I want to kick this quick and get on with, with life. But if you have your Bible, turn to Matthew chapter 5, verse 10. Matthew chapter 5, verse 10. And again, what I love about Jesus is you can say all sorts of things you want to say about Jesus. But the one thing you have to acknowledge about Jesus is he speaks truth. He tells us the truth. He doesn't sugarcoat anything. Jesus is a realist. And and one thing he gets really honest about is the consequences of following him. There are blessings in following Jesus, but there are consequences also in following Jesus. And he was very honest about the consequence of following him. Jesus never tried to sugarcoat his message. He never tried to win anybody over with with his fancy words, which is why he concludes his introduction to the Sermon on the Mount with this. Blessed are those who are persecuted. Come on, say that out loud. Say that word. Persecuted because of righteousness. The Good News translation says it this way. Because you do what God requires, you're persecuted. Blessed are those who are persecuted because you follow Jesus, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Simply put, Jesus is saying, should you choose to follow me, there will be many who disapprove with that decision. Not everybody's going to like that decision. And there is a cost to following Jesus. And it's such a shocking statement because it's like he starts this thing off with blessed are the poor in spirit, blessed are those who mourn, blessed are the merciful and the meek. But he ends it with blessed are the the persecuted. And and it's such a shocking statement that Jesus says it again. He he repeats it. And any time Jesus repeats anything, how many of you know it's probably good to lean in, to pay attention? Everything he says matters. But if Jesus repeats something, It must really matter. So he goes on. The only beatitude he adds to. He says this. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you. Not because of the church you belong to. Not because you're one of those loudmouth, jerk Christian people. Not because you're out in the street every day with a sign that says turn or burn. How many of you know some people are asking to be persecuted? Jesus isn't talking about you. Come on. Some people just looking for it because they think it's bringing them honor or Jesus honor. It's not. Okay, it's not. He's saying, blessed are you not who are asking to be persecuted. Not, not, not blessed are you who, who are, are just dumb. Like, like you, you act like you care about people, but you don't care about people. Because if you cared about them, you'd love them the way Jesus loves them. Amen. He's saying, blessed are you who are persecuted because of me. Not because you've given people good reason to hate you, but because of me. Should you follow 
These beatitudes, should you look like me, lead like me, love like me, live like me, here is what will be guaranteed to follow. You will be persecuted. So what do we do with this? He goes on. He says, so then rejoice and be glad. Because great is your reward in heaven. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. So Lord, would you open our eyes that we might see and our ears that we may hear your word, your voice as you speak to your church today. It is in Jesus' name. Everybody said, amen. Jesus gives more space to this beatitude than any other. And it's the only one, not only that he repeats, but he personalizes. Notice all the others that we've covered these past seven weeks. Blessed are the poor for theirs. Blessed are those for they. Here he personalizes it. He says, blessed are you. When people insult you and persecute you and falsely say all kinds of evil against you, you. It's also different from the other seven because the other seven, if you, if, you, if you look at this first seven beatitudes, they reflect the character of a person who's decided to follow Jesus. This beatitude reflects the character of the world and how the world will treat those who choose to live a faith-forward life in Christ. Jesus is saying, as you learn to reflect the first seven of my Beatitudes, the eighth is a foregone conclusion. You will be persecuted. In other words, persecution ought not surprise you. Insults ought not catch you off guard. Slander ought not surprise you. Jesus, in Matthew chapter 10, verse 22, he said this, you will be hated. Not might be hated, you will be hated everybody because of me but the one who stands firm to the end will be saved so it's not a, a matter of if but but when and what Jesus is saying is blessed at peace content fulfilled is the person who learns how to deal with rejection, persecution, who, whose faith is strong, so strong that you're able to endure and to withstand every insult and every form of attack. Blessed are you who learn to live not for the approval of the crowd, but, but who live from the approval of the cross, you learn how to deal with persecution. You, you almost get used to dealing with attacks. You're not surprised by it because you understand Jesus promised you will be persecuted, not because of you, but because of him. If they persecuted me, Jesus said in John 15, they will persecute you. Why? Because evil people don't like Jesus. The God of this age, who is Satan, knows that he can't attack Jesus. He can't get to Jesus directly. He tried once. It was a colossal failure. Come on, somebody. So what's the next best thing the devil can do? If I can't get to Jesus directly, what am I going after? I'm going after his people. I'm going after his followers. I'm going to attack his church. The world can't stand a biblical perspective. 
The world can't stand a person who stands for Jesus. And it's not me who draws distinction between the world, the way of the world and the way of Christ. I was asked maybe a few weeks and maybe now a few months ago by somebody, why why do you draw attention to the world and the word? It's it's almost like us in, in them. But understand in John 17, Jesus said, listen, you're in the world, just don't be of the world. We live in the world, but we're not called to reflect the world. We're called to reflect Christ. And if at times we don't as the church draw distinction between the word and the world the way Jesus did all throughout his earthly ministry, we are failing one another. And we're failing the world because what the world needs isn't more people who look like the world. What the world needs is more people to look like Jesus. Come on. The world needs more people to stand out like Jesus. But the reality is everybody who does evil hates the light. And don't want to come into the light for fear that their own darkness will be exposed. And everybody who wants to live a godly life in Christ will be persecuted, while evildoers and imposters will go from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. So it's not that you you might be persecuted. According to Jesus, you will be. The more you look like and love like and live and lead like Jesus, the more Darkness is exposed around you. That's why we live in a culture that is absolutely relentless in its attack on Christians and Christian values. It's the reason Tim Tebow was publicly crucified at, at, I don't know, 24, 25 years old when people found out you're still a virgin. That doesn't make any sense. Why? Because to acknowledge the morality of his decision to save himself for marriage is to also confess the immorality and the wrongness of so many others' decisions. And we don't like that. It makes us uncomfortable. So when you stand out, people will have something to say about you. When you stand out, you will be insulted. But understand, Jesus stood out. They crucified him for it. All but one of Jesus' disciples, minus the one who killed himself, were killed for their faith, minus John, who was exiled. So what do we do? When we're persecuted. What do we do when the world insults our belief system? When we're criticized and when we're slandered. When our our livelihood is threatened. Conform or be canceled. That's the new thing. Because again, it's not that you might be, you will be. And understand that there are very few people in the world today who will point directly at Jesus and criticize Jesus. You you will be hard-pressed to find anybody who has anything negative to say about Jesus directly. So what do we do then if we can't attack Jesus directly? We look for who we can't attack directly. We attack people who follow Jesus. We attack his word. We'll, we'll, We'll persecute. We'll insult his followers. We'll attack his church. And if you're thinking to yourself already, you know, I don't know, Pastor Chad, this sounds so unusual. I I don't think that's really been my experience. I've not experienced much persecution for being a Christian. I've I've never felt pressure to conform. I've I've never felt like I was being insulted or slandered. I I just want to encourage you. It might be time to take a good, long, hard look at yourself in the mirror and to ask yourself, how much do you really look like Jesus? 
Because if your faith has been hassle-free, it might be that your faith is more a conformist faith than a faith that's rooted in Holy Spirit conviction and in Christ. It may be that you blend in more than you stand out. And I'm not telling you that you're blending in. I'm just saying it might be a good time to look at yourself in the mirror and ask yourself, do I blend in more than I stand out? How much do I really look like Jesus, because according to Jesus, he did not stutter. He did not mince his words. He did not get this wrong. Jesus said, you will be persecuted because of me. If people see Jesus when they look at you, you will be persecuted. So what do we do? What do I need to remember when I'm insulted, when I'm put down, when I'm shut down, so I don't destroy my witness, so I don't fight back, so I don't lose my way. Let me give you six things. Number one, remember this. You're not the target God is. You're not the target God is. That means I don't have to take it personal when I'm attacked because I'm not the target. Jesus said you're being targeted not because people don't like you you're being targeted because people don't like me but because they can't attack me directly they're doing the next best thing they're going to attack you we're not fighting against human beings Ephesians chapter 6 but against wicked spiritual forces so the hatred that you may feel at times in life because of your faith in Christ, it's not personal. It's not directed at you. The person who's attacking you, they're not the issue. They're nothing more than a pawn. The accuser of the brethren has a name. And it's not Thomas or Adam or Carla or Carol. It's not CNN or Fox News or whatever the name is of the group or organization that's out to attack you. His name is Satan. He is the devil. And the devil's no dummy. Come on. He's no dummy. He knows he can't get directly to the Father. He knows he can't get directly to Jesus. So what does he do? What do you do if you can't get to a parent, but you really want to hurt a parent, but you can't get directly to that parent? What do you do? You go after his kids. That's why the enemy's after his kids. The attack on you, it's not personal. You're not the target God is. The world hates you, Jesus said, but, but remember, it hated me before it hated you. Number two, it's not your job. It's not my job when you're persecuted to avenge and to get revenge. That belongs to God. When people insult you, lie about you, persecute you, don't retaliate, do not repay anybody evil for evil. Do not take revenge, but leave room for God's wrath, for it is written, it is mine to avenge. I will repay, says the Lord. But I tell you to love your enemies. And to pray for those who persecute you. Lord, but that's so hard. Not when you understand you're not the target. God is. Not when you understand it's not our job to avenge. That job belongs to the Lord. Not when you see the person 
who's attacking you as nothing but a pawn. You can pray for them. Just don't you dare lift a finger against them. Hear the word of the Lord today. The world loves to find fault with believers, and if they can't find fault with believers, they'll make something up. It's the same thing they did with Jesus. Jesus did nothing wrong. Yet one day he's accused of being a drunk. The next day he's accused of being a blasphemer, a false prophet, and being demon-possessed. But what did Jesus do? He refused to play the devil's game. Don't play the devil's game. Don't play his game. When you want to punch back, pray. When you want to hurl insults back, heap kindness on their head instead. Do not be overcome by evil and play the devil's game, but overcome evil with good. I had a friend who stole from us a very large amount of money. And what I wanted to do was I wanted to retaliate I wanted to pay him back. He ought to be in jail today. But what we did instead was we helped his wife pay the mortgage of their house. And we helped make sure that their children were taken care of. Not something I really wanted to do. The relationship has never been reconciled. The the Bible says we talked about it last week as far as it depends on you. So we've done our part. Some people will refuse to reconcile with you. And if that's the case, as, as far as it depends on you, if you've done your part, then it's time to just move on. When we first served Wineland Park in 2011, we were told by more than one person, we don't want you here. You're not welcome. We were a brand new church, and I I heard these words. We know all about your kind. You're just another white suburban church rolling up into our neighborhood, and and, and you're doing it so that you can make yourself feel good, and then we're never going to see you another day in our life. And and I thought to myself, first of all, we're not a suburban church. Our only campus at the time was at the Lenox. And, And second, we've always been a diverse church, and we've always celebrated diversity. We were told to get out. It was the first large-scale outreach that we'd done as a church. And I remember how it made me feel. I, I never wanted to go back. I just wanted to say, you know what, we're done with it. I, I don't need you, and apparently you don't need us, and it's just not worth it. And then the Lord took hold of my heart. And basically he said to me, you can play the devil's game if you want to, but you're not going to be on my team and his team at the same time. And so I came back with this. I'm sorry this is how you feel about our church, but I hate to break it to you because we're not going nowhere. Come on, somebody. We're not going nowhere. We're here to stay. I'm sorry that maybe you've seen churches in the past roll in and and roll out. I'm, I'm sorry that may be your experience, but that's not this team and that's not this church. And you know what? Our, our, our relationship and partnership in Wineland Park has been our longest and one of the most successful partnerships to date. 
And from that partnership has come the Dream Center and our short north campus. And, and now today, the, the, the 20 locations, the, the learning extension centers all across the city that are serving the most underprivileged, under-resourced kids who can't go to school right now. We're renting facilities. I think we hire some like 25 full-time staff to, to run those. Our church has stepped up big time financially to make that happen. And then I got to scrolling through some of the comments online this week after a local news station reported the story of all these extension learning centers. And I, and I, I was taken aback by a particular woman who kept posting in the comment thread, how much is this church getting paid to take care of these kids? What about separation of church and state? How, how much is this church getting paid? And I thought to myself, Karen, we're not. And you can't make this up. Her name was Karen. Her actual name. And I thought to myself, Karen, we're not getting paid to take care of these kids. This isn't like a lucrative business model. Our church is investing hundreds of thousands of dollars in in, in hundreds and in hundreds of man hours and volunteer hours to make this happen for kids in our city who will continue to fall behind in school unless somebody steps up and hey we're some of the somebodies man I, I got so I was so upset but I had to remind myself Karen I'm not the target. Our church is not the target. You have a problem, not with us, but with God. We're not the target. God is. It's not mine to avenge. It's not mine to repay. I don't need to defend myself. God's going to do the heavy lifting for us. And I'm not going to play the devil's game. Insult for insult, offense for offense. We're just going to keep on serving and loving and giving and being generous and seeing this city transformed by the powerful, mighty work of the Holy Spirit of the living God that is at work in and through the church. Come on, somebody. We're just going to keep going. Can't stop, won't stop. I won't let one Karen or 10,000 Karens keep me, keep us from serving the underserved, from loving the marginalized and the forgotten. I'm not playing the devil's game. Matter of fact, I will be glad and rejoice not only for the opportunity to serve Jesus, but because your criticism, Karen, is confirmation that we're on the right track. Listen, if you're not ever rubbing up against the devil, it might be that you're running with him and not against him. If you don't ever feel opposition, it might be because you're playing for the same team. Persecution is often affirmation of my Christ-likeness. It's not always, but it's often. When you live on mission, when you look like Jesus, when you live, love, and lead like Jesus, when you stand for truth and you refuse to compromise, come on, somebody, be glad and rejoice. For blessed are you when people insult you and persecute you and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad. 
Because persecution is evidence of the spirit of God in your life. Persecution is evidence that you look like Jesus. First Peter chapter four. Here it is. If you are insulted because of the name of Christ, you are blessed. Why? For the spirit of glory and of God rest on you. Come on. When people put you down because of Jesus, it means they see Jesus in you. One of the evidences of the Spirit of God at work in your life is resistance and persecution and insults, and the list goes on and on. And listen, I want you to ask yourself, if you were to stand trial today for being a follower of Jesus, would there be enough evidence to convict you? Or would the only evidence be circumstantial? And would your attorney be able to stand up and, and defend you, your honor? My, my client maybe has been known to attend Rock City Church from time in time. And, 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 and your honor, my client, he has been a part of a small group, but he does have a, a Rock City bumper sticker on the back of his car. But understand, your honor, my client is, 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 is not guilty of the charge of being a true follower of Jesus because, your honor, understand, at the same time he's been attending this church, he's still sleeping with his girlfriend that he's not married to. And if you could just hear the language that she uses behind the scenes when she's not in small group, Your Honor, if you could see that, that most nights when he gets off work, he's out drinking with his friends and, and making decisions that are unbecoming of a follower of Jesus, Your Honor, he's not guilty, Your Honor. There's just not enough evidence to prove that she is truly a follower of Jesus. Would there be enough evidence to convict you if the charge is you follow Jesus? Persecution is evidence of the, the Spirit of God upon you. It's evidence that God trusts you. Rejoice and be glad. The apostles were full of joy that, that God would consider them worthy to suffer for Jesus' name. Rejoice and be glad because persecution only lasts a short while. It's only temporary for these troubles and sufferings of ours. After all, quite small won't last very long. Yet this short time of distress will result in God's richest blessing upon your life forever and ever. If we could just acknowledge that we live in the United States of America, and we think it's brave when somebody shows up to church or to serve even though it's raining outside, or even though it's St. Patty's Day weekend, or even though it was a late football game the night before. We, we really don't understand what real persecution looks like unless you're watching from China right now where the church is thriving and growing like, like the wildfires in California, faster than the wildfires in California, even though crosses are being taken down by the government in China, Christians are rising up. If you're watching from the country of Iran right now, you want to know where the fastest growing church is, not in America, but in the world, it's in Iran. Where to be found a follower of Jesus could cost you your freedom and even your life. If you're watching from India right now, where we literally have dozens and dozens of pastors fully supported and funded by this church, 
A pastor in India just a few weeks ago was dragged from his home by an angry mob who demanded that this pastor and his family shut down the church they were running. I think it was out of his home. And his family had a meeting and they decided we're not walking away from the gospel. We're going to continue to preach the gospel. A mob showed up at his house, dragged him out of his home, dragged him and beat him about 30 yards from where he lived, shot him dead. This pastor's wife and his children had to bury their badly beaten and bloodied pastor dad because he does what I do. If you're watching and you really understand what persecution is all about, can I encourage you with this great is your reward. Not everybody who gets to heaven is going to be rewarded the same. Jesus says rejoice and be glad for great, not average, not mediocre, great is your reward. In Matthew 19, Jesus says this, whatever you give up for my sake on earth, You will receive a hundred times more in heaven. And eternal life on top of that. Great is your reward. Now listen, church, the, the goal isn't to be persecuted. The goal is to look like Jesus, to be like Jesus. And, the, and yet the more you, you look like Jesus, become like Jesus, you will be persecuted. Just remember, you're not the target. God is. It's not your job to avenge, to pay back. Let God do that for you. You don't have to play the devil's game. Don't repay evil for evil. Don't hurl insults back. If you're going to kill him, kill him with kindness. Come on, somebody. Be glad and rejoice. The Spirit of God is all over you, and God must trust you a ton. And great is your reward. And I'm telling you, that heavenly reward will make all the hardship on earth absolutely worth it because this won't last, but heaven will. So don't quit. Don't quit. Keep the course. Stand firm to the end. Finish your race. You want to know why most people quit? Most people quit because of one or two people, maybe three or four. I almost never went back to Wineland because of two people. A partnership that literally has resulted over the past nine years, perhaps tens of thousands of people saved and Certainly tens of thousands of people served. That's why I got the verse on my office wall, Acts chapter 20, verse 24. However, I consider my life worth nothing to me. My only aim is not to run the race, it's to finish the race and to complete the task that Jesus has given me. The task of testifying to the good news of God's grace. Don't quit. You're insulted, counted in honor. 
that you look like Jesus, if you suffer in a manner that pleases God, you will suffer apart from him or with him. You will suffer. That's guaranteed. We will all suffer this side of heaven. With or without Jesus, you will suffer. But salvation is found only through Jesus. Salvation was made possible only through the suffering of the death of Jesus on the cross and the resurrection of Jesus coming out of that tomb. If you suffer in a manner that pleases God, keep on doing what is right and trust your lives to the God who created you, who gave his life for you, for he will never fail you. Come on. He has not failed you. He will not fail you. He never will. So the question is, do you trust him? It's not, do you suffer? I know the answer to that. Yes. But do you trust him? Are you saved? And would you in this moment, if you're not sure, would you acknowledge your sin, your lack of Christ likeness before God? Because the Bible says everyone who calls on the name of Jesus will be saved. So wherever you are right now, would you, would you just close your eyes and, and bow your heads and just in your home, in that prison cell, in that nursing home, on the treadmill, on your front porch, wherever you are, the Spirit of God is. Would you say, Jesus, I need you. Forgive me of my sin. Cleanse me of the unrighteousness in my life and fill me your Holy Spirit. Give me strength and courage to stand firm, to follow through, because I'm deciding today not just to follow you in this moment, but Lord, I want to follow you all the rest of the days of my life, and I want to not just run the race you've called me to. I want to finish the race. Come on, somebody. I want to complete the task of testifying to the good news and the work that you've done in my life, the work that you want to do in the lives of those you put right in front of me and all around me. In Jesus' name, come on right where you are. Would you worship him and say amen, amen, amen.